Amen. Thank you, Jerome. And thank you, Dempsey and Steve and Jeremy, for guiding our worship this morning. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to all of the guests that we have today. We're so thankful for your presence. I'm going to be reading um, from Matthew chapter 14, verses 3 through 12. And if you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, we're going to primarily be in Matthew chapter 14 today. So you might go there now. Starting verse 3. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him, put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. If the feet of those who bring good news are beautiful, what do you call the feet of those who bring news like this? July 2016 As Jeremy alluded to earlier, it's been a doozy, a lot of bad news. And there's been much pain, much sorrow, much chaos and conflict, and much of it seems so senseless, meaningless. Jesus had a day like this on the day that John the Baptist died. Jesus had a very special relationship with John the Baptist. He was baptized by John the Baptist. He even says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, that among those born of women, there has arisen none greater than John the Baptist. I'd say that Jesus thought very highly of John. When Jesus heard the news of John's senseless, meaningless death, his heart must have broken. Not only Jesus's heart, but the disciples of Jesus and the disciples of John And the crowds that followed Jesus, their hearts must have been broken too. It was a day of mourning. The remainder of Matthew chapter 14 details the rest of Jesus' day. After he hears this terrible news of John the Baptist. So we see Jesus pushing forward with a broken heart, with a heart at half staff, if you will. Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14 says, When Jesus heard what had happened about John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. I think there's a lot of different ways Jesus could have reacted To that, he could have said, no, I'm sorry, not today. I'm in mourning. You guys should be in mourning. 
Let's save this for another time. But Jesus instead was filled with compassion and he healed all kinds of sick people. And if you've got your Bible open in in front of you, you'll see that on the same day, Jesus goes on to miraculously feed over 5,000 people with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And then that very night, Jesus walks on the water. And he ends up calming the very forces of nature. He does all this. On that same day, he finds the terrible news of John the Baptist. He does this with a heart at half staff. And we have had plenty of occasions to mourn. Not only this month, but this year. It's been rough. And we currently mourn with broken hearts. We had a funeral yesterday here in our backyard at KCK. So what are we to do? How are we to respond? I think here in Matthew chapter 14, we can find some answers. And what I want to do this morning is really focus in on the occasion when Jesus walked on the water here in Matthew 14. I think we can find some answers here. So let's read that account now of Jesus walking on the water, starting in verse 22, Matthew chapter 14. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. This was the crowd that he fed the big, large thousands of people. Verse 23 After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. So here the disciples are. They're in this, seems like maybe a shabby boat. For some reason, at least for me personally, it's easy to miss the fact that they're in dire straits here. The wind and the waves are against them. There's this storm. Um... It's a chaotic scene with these winds and the waves crashing on the boat. They're struggling just to keep their boat headed in the right direction. Try to imagine the loud noises that must be accompanying this scene. The howling wind and the crashing waves 
yelling back and forth. Very chaotic. It's easy for me to, to just think of a casual, leisurely stroll out on the lake. And the disciples are talking about how Jesus just fed the 5,000. Or maybe they're swapping stories about John the Baptist. And here comes Jesus just casually strolling on the lake. It wasn't like that at all. It was a chaotic scene. And these disciples, they might have even been fearing for their very lives. They thought, this is it. Man, what a terrible day. First John the Baptist, now us. And Jesus, who has just poured himself into all these people, he's fed 5,000 people, he's healed the sick, all while mourning, comes out into this chaotic scene, walking onto these churning, tumultuous waters. How eerie it must have felt for the disciples. If, if you've ever been on a lake when the weather is nice, but it's nighttime, that can be a little bit spooky. So imagine if you're out in the middle of the lake, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night. You're already off to a bad start. And these disciples are in this boat. It's going up and down like a cork. And they kind of see this image of somebody that looks like they're walking on the lake. Talk about spooky. And they would have been very afraid. But they realize that it's Jesus. And Peter, despite the conditions with the water going up and down, steps out of the boat and onto the water. Now, after such a long day, I imagine Jesus must have been thinking, man, what a day this has been. And I think this was probably the highlight of his day when he sees Jesus take a step out of the boat. And I would imagine that Jesus was kind of smiling, laughing when he said, you of, of little faith, why are you doubting? But to get into the boat... And peace comes into the boat with Jesus. The scene changes from chaos to now a nice, serene lake. Jesus calms the wind, calms the storm, calms the waters. You see, when Jesus comes into the boat, peace enters with him. So today, church, I have a question for you. What is it that brings peace into your boat? What is it that brings peace into your boat? We, we try pretty hard to manufacture peace in our lives. Think of that scene out on this lake. And the disciples are paling out water and throwing around ropes and yelling out instructions. They're probably thinking, you know what? We should have never gotten into this boat without Jesus. They're probably thinking we need if we're not going to have Jesus with us, we got to have a better boat. Why didn't we make this boat better than this? I mean, we're fishermen here. We should know we have no excuse. We're used to this. We know this can happen. Why don't they have a better boat? They're probably thinking, why didn't we make our boat look like this picture right here? One of these boats. They should have done that, right? Then, then they would be safe and secure. 
They wouldn't be in this predicament if they had only taken the precautions, prepared, built up this system that could completely assure their safety and comforts so that they could know with confidence that nothing bad would ever happen to them. I think when we experience tragedy, especially since 9-11 and now we're having more conflict, we have the tendency to want to run and hide somewhere, to build up a fort, go inside, and just block out the outside world. And then we retreat to our comfortable homes and let down the garage door. Just a second here. I'm getting a message. It's not from God, don't worry. It's from our producer. We have a commercial. Please stay right where you are. We'll be right back. I love these Allstate commercials. In fact, I have a strong opinion about them. I think they're the funniest commercials I've ever seen, really. I mean, the funniest advertising campaign that I've ever seen. And Allstate has made dozens of these commercials. If you work in the marketing department of an insurance company, you've got one of the easiest jobs in the world because there is just a limitless amount of things that can go wrong in our lives, right? Toddlers, dryer lint, teenagers, cell phones, home projects, raccoons, the list goes on. Mayhem is everywhere. They can all wreak havoc. That's their slogan. Allstate is mayhem is everywhere. Are you in good hands? Marketing genius. Of all the weapons in the devil's arsenal, fear is perhaps the cruelest of weapons. Fear won't kill you, but fear will injure you, maim you. It will harm you to where your life will be handicapped and full of suffering. Fear is debilitating to the type of abundant, purpose-filled life that Jesus calls you to. Insurance companies, they realize this. They make money off of fear. And so they remind you that mayhem is everywhere. You better get your life safeguarded. What brings peace to your boat? Is it your insurance policy? Is it your retirement fund? Is it your firearms? Is it your credit card? You know, when I was a kid, and some of you can probably relate, I didn't wear a helmet or knee pads when I rode my bike. I, uh, I ate inorganic food. Um, my brothers and I, on long trips, we'd lay on the floorboards and on the dashboard. Right? You've been there. Many of you have been there. And look, I'm not saying that your kids shouldn't wear a helmet, knee pads. 
That's a good idea. I'm sorry. Abel Jr., come on, man. you got to wear your helmet. Um, but we have to be careful about what we teach our children. We don't want them to live in constant fear of every little wind or wave that comes their way. They don't, you know, we don't want them to live their lives like that, to where they always feel like they have to be protected and take precautions. We want them to live with a purpose and boldly. Yeah, mayhem, it's everywhere. That's the nature of where we live here on planet Earth. Mayhem is everywhere, but a life of fear is nowhere near the kind of life that Jesus wants for us. In our families, we shouldn't create a culture that is so insulated, so insured, so protected that we are afraid to step outside. We have to take some risks. We have to step out onto unsure, unstable waters. Now, that doesn't have that insured feeling, that safe and secure type feeling, does it? But Jesus doesn't call us to just fortify our boats as much as possible because we're never going to be able to fortify our boats enough. Instead, Jesus calls us to be okay with having a boat that's not a sure thing. It's not a safe bet. Because it's not the strength of our boats that give us peace. Something much greater. I think that it's a little ironic that in the same month that this breakout of conflict and unrest occurred, this huge replica of Noah's Ark has also had its grand opening. And flocks of people have gone to Kentucky to visit this giant, massive replica of Noah's Ark. It was designed to be impenetrable from every wind and wave. And although we find this boat in the Bible, this huge boat that uh, blocked out the outside world from Noah and his family, this is not the boat that Jesus calls us aboard today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, Jesus says to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We, like I heard Clark Morris say one time in a Bible class, were to make contact with the world, just like salt and light are designed to do. Salt is useless unless it makes contact with the flavorless. Light is worthless unless it makes contact with darkness. You are the light of the world. Our boats should be designed so we can easily step out and make contact with the world. 
We shouldn't fortify our boats up to where the world doesn't know we exist. What difference will you make in the world if that's how you've designed your boat? So this kind of of boat that I'm talking about, the unfortified boat, doesn't sound very peaceful, right? Sounds kind of risky. Sounds kind of chaotic, kind of stressful. Well, I want to assure you that in this type of boat, peace is still available to you. When Jesus walked on the water and he pulled Peter, rescued him out of the, the waves, from his weak faith and put him in the boat. Peace entered, entered the boat with Jesus. Despite the risks you take in the unsure ground below your feet, as long as you have Jesus in your humble, unfortified boat, peace will be right there beside you. So what are you doing to establish peace in your life? Are you building up walls, separating yourself from the outside world, creating your own system of peace? Or are you going, therefore, and making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of Jesus' commands? Because we have a job to do, and the way that we design our boats affect the way we get that job done. We've got to have boats where we can step out and make contact with the world. And Jesus says something about this great commission that he gives us, this charge. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I am with you always. Some, at some point this week, you're going to hear a commercial And it's going to say, nationwide is on your side, right? When you hear that, I don't want you to think about insurance. I don't want you to think, chicken parm, you taste so good. (laughs) I don't want you to think, man, I love that new car smell. I want you to think, Jesus Christ is on your side. Let's all sing it together. Jesus Christ is on your side. That's right. It's beautiful. This morning, think about this. Are you living your life as though Jesus isn't in the boat with you? Or are you stepping out in faith, relying on Jesus? Not relying on insurance or your air conditioner, the strength of the materials of your home, but you're relying on Jesus to be your peace. Take a listen to these verses. Two are from the Gospel of John. One is from 1 Peter. John 14:27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 16:33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Those were Jesus' words. Then 1 Peter 
Peter writes, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Mayhem is everywhere. Are you in good hands? Our Savior is one who, when tragedy rocks our world, he gets to work. In Matthew 14, Jesus, with heart at half-staff, heals people, has compassion on people. He feeds thousands of people. And even after all this, he walks out onto the water and he lifts Peter up out of his weak faith. And then he's not done. He calms the wind and the water. Our Savior is not too tired for you. We have a Savior that after roaming the countryside, looking in the heat of the day, still has the strength to put his lost sheep on his shoulders and take it back home. We have a Savior that has felt pain and sorrow and suffering as a human being living on this earth. And he still had the strength to overcome death and rise from the grave. I would highly recommend that you make this Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord of your life. Because he is the only key to peace. It's not insurance, retirement funds, helmets and knee pads, insulated homes. It's Jesus the Christ. He's got a nickname, the Prince of Peace. If you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, why not today? Maybe your life hasn't been so peaceful. Maybe you've forgotten that Jesus is in the boat with you. Maybe it's just you haven't been relying on Jesus for peace in your life. Or maybe you haven't let Jesus in your boat yet. Whatever the case, if we need to pray through something with you, or if you want to let Jesus in your boat, I invite you to take the plunge of baptism. He will lift you out of those waters and you will have peace. Whatever your needs today, let's stand. We sing our invitation song.